Many of us are not or have been at times. Perhaps you're at the point of exhaustion or maybe anger or hurt. Let's see. You want me to click those? Oh, okay. It's recording you. Many have been hurt in ministry or in life. And at times we feel like we want to give up. I felt that way. I imagine that you have too. Maybe you you have fear as you face the future. I've had all of those feelings. I think probably all of us have. It's, It's easy to grow discouragement. Someone once announced that the devil was going out of business and was going to have a sale of all of his tools for whoever would pay the price. And on the night of the sale, he displayed a terrible looking uh, group of tools. There was hatred. There was envy. There was jealousy and lust and deceit. And all the other tools were spread out in his front yard. Off to the side, apart from the rest, was a harmless looking tool. It was shaped sort of like this, like what we would say in English, a wedge-shaped tool. It was very worn, and it was priced higher than all of the other tools. What is it, someone asked the devil. He said, that's discouragement. Why is it priced so high? He said, well, it is more useful to me than any other tool that I have. I can pry open and get inside a person with that tool when I cannot get in any other way. And once I've gotten in, it suits me. It's so worn because I use it on everybody. And very few people know that it belongs to me. The Apostle Paul sat in a prison in Rome, probably for the second time. This time, he fully expected to die. This is probably his last letter that we call 2 Timothy. And while in prison, some Christians had treated him well, but others had deserted him, even abused him. He was lonely. Timothy, his friend, was in Ephesus where the problems that Paul had written about in a a previous letter had grown worse. Many of the people had left the church to follow false teachers. And so Paul writes a very personal letter to Timothy. Rather than allowing this tool of discouragement to pull him down, and then in turn to use him to pull others down, Paul encourages Timothy to be loyal in his life and ministry. And rather than fighting with false teachers, Paul decides in this letter to encourage him to focus on pressing on, uh, excuse me, on passing on the truth about the gospel. To be faithful, to be committed, and to encourage the believers around them to be the same. Paul was not discouraged even though he was imprisoned. And although he was in chains, he would say in this letter, God's word is not chained. So he reminds Timothy to be faithful 
Because God is faithful. He challenges Timothy to carry on the work of Christ. Paul is a good model for us. We need encouragement as disciples, as followers of Jesus. And we also need to give encouragement to other followers. A challenge to the pastor and also to all of the people in the church. Let's look at Paul's encouragement to Timothy as he begins this second letter that we call 2 Timothy in chapter 1. Hear the word of the Lord this evening. 2 Timothy chapter 1 beginning in verse 1. Paul writes, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, in keeping with the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my dear son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God, whom I serve, as my ancestors did, with a clear conscience, as night and day, I constantly remember you in my prayers, recalling your tears. I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother, Lois, and in your mother, Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. Let's bow for prayer. Lord, I pray that the words of my mouth, and Lord, the thoughts, the meditations of each of our hearts would be pleasing in your sight this evening. In Christ's name, amen. Paul identifies himself as Christ's apostle by the will of God. Now, I'm not Paul, and you're not Timothy, but we who serve in ministry have a calling, as Paul did, to serve the Lord. We also have the message of life, life that is available only in Jesus Christ. As Paul says, it is God's promise Coming to Christ brings us eternal life. Not just life forever, but an abundant life. Even with all the struggles we have, an abundant, fulfilling life in Christ. Has God called you to serve Him as pastor? Then you need encouragement. Are you a follower of Jesus, a disciple? Then you need encouragement. Someone has said that we all need three important people in our lives. We need a Paul, a mentor, someone who's been in the faith longer than us that can help us. We need a Timothy, someone that we can pour our life into and be an encouragement to them. And we need a Barnabas, who is sort of an equal with Paul. And the name Barnabas, or the nickname of Barnabas was the encourager, the son of encouragement. We all need someone older, someone younger, someone alongside us. Not necessarily chronological age, but someone who has been a disciple in that way. And I want to mention four ways that Paul encouraged Timothy. Encouragement helps us to be faithful to the end. And faithfulness is very important in ministry. 
It's one of the things that the devil will seek to take from us, mostly through discouragement. I've been in ministry for well over 40 years, and I've often been discouraged by words or actions or my own failures. But I'm thankful for the Barnabases, the encouragers, men and women God has brought into my life. For me, my wife has been the greatest encouragement, not only in her words, but by her actions. She helps me, as the definition that I read earlier, she helps me to want to be a better Christian. And God has sent others, many others, who have encouraged me in life. Too often, we measure our effectiveness by what others are doing. And that's not a good idea. Be careful how you measure what God is doing with you. Is it for you to measure or is it for God to measure? We know Paul is a great preacher, a teacher, a missionary. But there were times when Paul was discouraged. Imagine the Apostle Paul giving his report to the church in Antioch that had sent him out after his first church planting mission that lasted some three years. It took him through Cyprus, up through Asia Minor, uh, which is today the lower central part of modern Turkey. Some great signs of God's mercy and power, but also resistance, anger, even being cast out of the city, even being stoned and left for dead. At the time, perhaps Paul wouldn't have had a lot to show for the time and energy he spent. But God was not finished with Paul. In the book of Acts chapter 16, Paul meets this young leader named Timothy on his second uh, church planting journey. And he takes Timothy along with him. And among the many places that he goes is Ephesus, where Paul stays for almost three years to establish a strong church. And later, Paul would send Timothy back to that church because of continuing problems in the church. And whatever problems there were, (coughs) they are mentioned in Paul's first letter to Timothy, many of them seem to still be there. So Paul writes to encourage Timothy. Paul knew the church leader was on the very front line. And if the devil could destroy the leader, the church would also be destroyed. The future of the church was at stake. And Paul wants Timothy to be faithful and to find joy in this difficult place. So how would he encourage him? How can we be encouraged and encourage others? Think for a moment about your closest co-worker in life and ministry. Maybe it's your husband or your wife if you're married. Probably wasn't an issue for Paul, but it is for many of us. Think about your family. Think about others, other Christ followers, other friends. How can you give and receive encouragement? I want to list these four ways. First of all, Paul encouraged Timothy through a close friendship. Paul loved Timothy. As he says in verse 2, To Timothy, my dear son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. God's love poured out from Paul to Timothy. 
as a pastor, as a, a minister, our business is people. God's business is redeeming, is reclaiming people. A pastor once said, I like most everything about my ministry except the people. Well, people can be difficult, people can be stubborn, people can be disappointing, but God calls the pastor to love his people. Pastors can also be all of those things, by the way. I heard about a man who was awakened by his wife one Sunday morning. He was deep in sleep and his wife was shaking him, telling him to get up. And he didn't want to get up. She said, you have to get up, it's Sunday morning and we're going to church. He said, I don't want to go to church this morning. I don't like those people down there and they don't like me. She said, look, you have to get up. And finally he said, give me three good reasons that I should get up and go to church this morning. He said, well, first of all, it's Sunday. It's the Lord's Day. And we go to church on Sunday. It's what we do as a family. And secondly, you need to set a good example for our children. And thirdly, you're the pastor of the church. <laughs> Maybe if you've been a pastor, you felt that way. The question is, do we love the people that God has called us to serve? Do we love the city that God has called us to serve in? Jesus loves the city of Aalborg and he wants to love your city through you. Timothy was encouraged because Paul expressed his love for Timothy. Timothy knew that he was loved by Paul because Paul told him and Paul acted in love. People need to know they are loved. First by our Heavenly Father but also by the body of Christ. I've been asked to speak at many uh, funerals during my ministry. And people often will want to share at a funeral what a wonderful person the, the, the person who's passed away was. But we need to find someone who has made a difference in our life and to tell them while they're still living. As you did, Pastor, just this morning, encourage your church to write or to tell someone that you appreciate them. Publicly and privately, people are encouraged when we show affection. I'm told that, and I think it's true, that churches, after about five years of a pastor being in a church, begin to take on the personality of the church. You who are members at Allborg can uh, ask yourself, are you more like Lee than you were when he first came? I don't know. But Christian, this is true, that... Uh, if our way of life, if our personality is to be a gracious person who encourages others, then our church will become an encouraging church. Because the truth is, we are all hurting in some way. God has given us a great gift to pass on. He has loved us deeply and He wants us to love others deeply. And when we show love, then people can experience the love of God. One of the ways, it's not the only way, but one of the ways that we show love is through our words that we speak. The Bible says in Proverbs, death and life are in the power of the tongue. Words are important. The words that we use influence people. 
They can make the difference in how a person responds to a crisis. There are three, at least three different kinds of words that we speak. We can speak shallow words. I heard about a, a visitor from uh, uh, a country in, the, in uh, Eastern Europe who came to visit and to live uh, in, in this country in North America. And he went to church and many people came up to him that day and said, we would love to have you over sometime soon. And so every day when he came home from work, he sat by his phone and waited for a phone call for them to invite him over to have dinner. But they never called for three months. Finally, someone called. His heart had been broken. They had spoken shallow words. The point is, we should be sincere, not insincere in our words. Doesn't mean we don't talk about sports or the weather or whatever, but we should be sincere in the way that we talk. And if we consistently only talk shallow words, we don't encourage people. We can also speak death words. They can destroy a person. Words can tear down as well as build up. Like a sharp knife in the hands of a surgeon, they can heal. But in the hands of a small child, careless child, they can kill. A man lived with chronic depression and after seeing many doctors and talk, taking many medications, he spoke with a Christian counselor and told him his story. He said that his father had been a very successful self-made head of a large corporation. And when he was ready to hand over the, the, the uh, leadership of that corporation to his son, he said, son, when you inherit the family business, I expect that you will ruin it. And the pressure that that young man felt to avoid failure drove him to overwork. It drove him eventually to alcohol and depression. We need to be careful the words that we speak. Shallow words, death words, but there are also life words. Words can also soothe, even change a person's life from a, a bad direction to a good direction. Words of life and encouragement. Paul said in the book of Ephesians, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for the building up for, the build, for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Well-timed words suited to the need of a particular moment can bring lasting results. In the church, our words are often self-protecting. We're afraid of being rejected. We try to avoid rejection by putting on layers of self-protection designed to win approval. And our words do not then reflect a concern for others' needs, but our own. And the result of that is that we have surface relationships. And a church can be a surface community. There's no real close friendship. There's no real encouragement. And Paul would say the solution to that is biblical fellowship that is honest, that is sincere, and that is encouraging. But Paul also encouraged Timothy by his praying. 
Paul prayed for Timothy. In verse 3 we read, I thank God whom I serve, as my ancestors did, with a clear conscience, as night and day I constantly remember you in my prayers. Do people know your prayer needs? There's a, a beautiful story in the Old Testament book of Exodus chapter 17 where the Israelites were battling with an enemy that had uh, tried to, uh, att- was attacking them, the, the Amalekites. And Joshua was the, the leader of the army on the field of battle, but Moses was leading off to the side by standing on a hill, a hill and holding the staff that God had given to him in his hands. And as long as Moses held his arms up, victory belonged to the Israelites. But when his hands were lowered, the Amalekites began to to win. And so we read in Exodus chapter 17 and verse 12, his hands remained until sunset. Because when Moses grew tired and his hands began to sink, two men, Aaron and Hur, would hold his hands up for him. A beautiful example of support. Who is holding up your arms? And whose arms are you holding up? Paul said, I constantly remember you in my prayers. Every time that Paul prayed and thought of Timothy was an occasion to pray with thanksgiving as well as to pray for his needs. Lee, I challenge you, I mean, uh, Christian, I challenge you to pray for your people, and also to let them know that you are praying for them. Also, pray with people at the very time that you say you will pray for them. It's very encouraging. And the other thing is that we need others to pray for us. We need to pray for them, and they need to pray for us. And only heaven will reveal what we are saved from because of others' prayers. Satan's work can be stayed because others are holding our arms up. I'll never forget an experience in Romania. I first went to Romania in 1993, uh, Aradia, Romania. And I, uh, our church had a partnership with, with the church in Aradia. And I spoke uh, at the church. And we continued to go back two or three times every year. And I remember in 1996, I went, was back at the church and I preached. It was a dedication of their new building. And an older lady came up to me after the service and someone uh, translated for her. And she said, Pastor, I don't know why, but when you spoke in 1993, God told me to pray for you every day. And I want you to know every day since then, I have been praying for you. You can, maybe you can't imagine how encouraging that was that I knew this woman, Maria, was praying for me. And Christian, we'll be praying for you. Every week we, in our convention, we have a a care net and we lift up the needs of all of our churches and our pastors. Prayer is a way that we can encourage others. A third way is faith. Paul believed in Timothy. Paul writes, recalling your tears, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you. In the book of 1 Timothy, 
Paul refers to Timothy as my true son in the faith. Paul says, I recall your tears. There was a deep bond between these two men. There was no one who was more loyal to Paul than Timothy. We need someone to believe in us. And we need to trust other people. Paul was in a lonely uh, dungeon, a jail in Rome, facing death. And the memory of a loyal friend that he had invested in and believed in, and the hope of seeing him again, would bring him joy. Imagine how this encouraged Timothy to know how much he meant to Paul. I'm not sure what the statistic might be in Europe, but I know in the United States about 96% of the people who come to trust Christ as Savior do so because of the invitation of a friend, a relative, or someone who knows them. Paul never forgot that the genuine faith that Timothy had shown. He let him know of his great heritage of faith. His mother, Eunice. His grandmother, Lois. What kind of heritage did he have? Paul would tell us, and we we heard it earlier uh, in chapter 3, verse 15, from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures. Paul had seen God's genuine work in Timothy's life. Growing up in my own family, I learned Scriptures at our dinner table when my family got together. I came from a large family of ten people, seven brothers and sisters. And a father who served the Lord when it was convenient and also inconvenient. I was encouraged also young in my life by a Sunday school teacher. We called him Captain Don because of a cap, a cap that he wore. But he was committed to a group of boys that were in his Sunday school class. What an encouragement it is to have people who believe in us. And we need to place our trust in others. And we need to invite others to come to faith. And there's a final way, and that is what I would call help. Paul helped Timothy. He says in verses 6 and 7, For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For the Spirit of God gave us, the Spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. We need to be reminded of how God has worked in our lives in the past. And Paul reminds Timothy that God had given him gifts for ministry. And now he says to Timothy, stir up the gift within you. Timothy knew he had that gift but he needed to be encouraged to fan it into flame. Paul was there when Timothy's gifts were recognized by the laying on of hands. We don't know where or when that happened, but Paul wants to remind Timothy in a difficult time in leadership that God called him and that God gifted him to minister effectively. Notice it is a soft reminder, not a command or scolding. I think that stories can be powerful tools of encouragement. You have stories in your church. It's good to recount those stories of how God has worked in our lives and to remember them. 
I know in our own family of churches, uh, I tell this story often of two identical twin brothers, Herman and Herbert Stout, who came to Germany just after the Second World War and began to minister to German street children along with some other uh, soldiers that they knew, Christian soldiers. But while they were doing that, God called them to come back one day. And so both of them were uh, sent somewhere else in the military, but about uh, 13 years later, they came with their families, one in 1957 and one in 1958, and they began the first two churches that uh, today make up what we call the International Baptist Convention. I didn't know Herbert or Herman, but I did know his brother Herbert, who uh, lived uh, for some years while I was part of the IBC. A wonderful man who was an encouragement. And, and the story of how they had this vision for the future and how God had used them in the future was an encouragement to me. Timothy needed all the encouragement and help from Paul to handle a very difficult situation in Ephesus. And Paul here gives the encouragement. Later, he gives some specific instructions. But first of all, he encourages him. And Paul also reminds him that the Holy Spirit gives us what we need to live and to serve. He reminds Timothy that the Holy Spirit would give him the power that he needed to use his authority against these false teachers that were threatening the church. The Holy Spirit would give him the love that he needed to endure even the most difficult times or the most difficult people. And that the Holy Spirit would help him with self-discipline that he needed to use restraint. Perhaps he had a tendency to try to destroy people and not just their wrong ideas. Let God use you to fan into flame the gift that he's given to you. We all need help. And we all need to help others. So let me just close. These four ways that we can encourage. Friendship, faith, prayer, and help. We need them all, and we all need to give them to others. So the question is, will you do that? We're called to Christ first as disciples. It's the call of every believer. We all need encouragement, and we need to learn to give others encouragement. And then God has uniquely designed the church to respond to the need for encouragement. So the question is, will you be the church? that encourages. People are hurting more deeply than we know and maybe more deeply than they know. And if we have Christ in our lives, we are uniquely able to bring healing through the gift of encouragement. And just a final reminder that we can encourage, we can discourage, or we can do nothing. We can speak shallow words, they accomplish little. Death words, which can discourage, or life words, which can encourage. So which will we choose? Just a final challenge to you. Who has been a great encouragement to you in your life as a believer? How have they encouraged you? How can you be an encouragement to someone else? Who do you know right now that needs encouragement? Will you offer the kind of expression that helps someone 
want to be a better Christian, especially when times are rough? Let's bow together for prayer. Lord, I thank you for your word that is encouraging. Thank you for the example of Paul. Lord, I thank you for people that you've brought into my life who've been encouragers. And I pray that each of us would commit ourselves tonight to be that kind of person. And I pray, Lord, that you would bring into our lives people who can encourage us in the faith to want to be a better Christian. Or if we're not Christians, to want to be Christians. For Lord, you have the words of life. You are life itself. And when we have you, we have what we need to be the kind of person you want us to be, to have a relationship with the God who created us, and to make a difference in this world for good. In Christ's name, amen.